Good morning. This morning's message is entitled Moving Forward. Uh, this is not a part of the next sermon series. I wanted to have a one buffer Sunday. I was going to begin it uh, this, uh, this week, but I neglected the, uh, the, uh, the fact that I was going to be going on vacation and just didn't get enough time to, to prepare so, uh, for that sermon series. So I want to do this sort of one-off message that's been resting on my heart for a while. And I, I, I hope that it resonates with you all. Uh, the passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, but it's taken from Jeremiah 31. And uh, I'll explain a little bit more about the title of the message as well as why I've chosen that here in a second. But let's read these words that the author of Hebrews have, has written. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. For after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one of his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now, that is the, those are the two lines that I want us to remember this morning. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Our God is a God of many things, but... Mercy is one of the most profound characteristics of our God. That He is merciful towards sinners like us. And if you are like me, there are times when you are just appalled. You are stricken with this, just this disgust over the sin of in your life, even when that sin is from your past. And this morning, I want us to help, I want to help us move forward. Because what I've realized is that when we have sin in our lives as believers, that we have not moved forward from, that we are still resting in, that we still are ashamed of, that still haunts us, there are times when we cannot move forward. In fact, there are times where it impairs our sanctification, it impairs our ability, ability to be holy and to live lives that thrive in the life of Christ and following Christ because we are still so ashamed and not just ashamed but guilt-ridden over past sin. So while Christ remembers our sins no more, we dwell on them. And what I want to ask ourselves this what I want us to ask ourselves this morning, why would we choose to remember and be stricken by sins 
that God is no longer stricken by or he no longer remembers. Why would we choose to do that and then find ourselves stuck in the same place, preventing ourselves from moving forward? I was talking to an individual over the last couple weeks about their life in Christ, and they questioned their salvation. They questioned their salvation. And I asked them, I said, why do you question your salvation? Just why, why is it? Why is it? I, I know that you have professed Christ. I, I've seen you walk with Christ. I've also seen you slip up. I've seen you fail. I've seen you sin. But why is it that you believe, why is it that you say that you are not a Christian or no longer a Christian? Why is that? And this individual confessed a particular sin that was in the past. And because of that sin, they believed that they were no longer Christian. And furthermore, it was preventing them from moving forward in the Christian life. Because they believed that that sin was indicative of a fallen creature, someone who is not forgiven, it was sort of this toss your hands up in the air I'm not a Christian, so why bother? You get where I'm going? Like, it's, it's just sort of, it, like, why bother? Like, it was preventing them from moving forward in the Christian life because they were so stuck on this one sin. And I said, God has forgiven you of past sins, present sins, and future sins. You are clean of those sins. Yes, the consequences still remain. But the sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. So if God is not dwelling on that sin, why are you? Now folks, I am not going to take credit for that. I'm not going to take credit for that, if you want to call it bit of wisdom... Because that is straight from God's Word. The only thing I will say is thank God for bringing it to my mind at that moment. Because though that simple concept that God has forgiven us, let us not dwell on those sins, was a light bulb. And don't you know, that that reality stirred something in that person's heart. And they have been witnessing to individuals in their life. I will get text messages saying, I've been sharing about Jesus and what He has done for me. And I can see a change I can see a change in the people that I'm talking to. They're not believing yet. And I said, keep praying. Keep praying. Just keep praying. Pray for them as I have prayed for you. 
and see how the Lord will move. And it was that it was it was that situation that caused me to want to share this this uh, text this morning and this message this morning because I feel that there are times when we get stuck in our own sin that's already been forgiven and it prevents us from moving forward because we're over here having a pity party over the sin instead of saying, God, I confess my sin, I repent, now Lord, help me move forward. And it is amazing what happens when God says, move forward, my child. I want you to keep, when, when, it, when he says, follow Jesus, there is not the expectation that you will follow him free from stumbling. We will stumble. God is not ignorant of that. He knows that. He is expecting that. It's built into his providential plan. But you are forgiven of that. And we have so much more confidence in the faith that has been given us by God when we realize that there are no strings attached. Just believe and move forward. Yes, repent when we sin. Yes, confess when we sin. Acknowledge it. But then realize that God has forgiven you of your sin and now live victorious in Christ. What joy there is living the life that is in the victory of Jesus. I mean, there is just a greater joy there knowing that my sin has been overcome by Christ. I do not have to fear the ultimate penalty of sin because Christ has paid that for me. And now I can live free from the chains of this, these burdens and move forward. Are there consequences to our sin? Yes, there are. There are consequences to sin. But the ultimate consequence has been taken care of. Because God says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, Jeremiah was speaking of the Israelites who I dare say none of us in here were as appallingly sinful as many of those Israelites. And God says, I will forgive their iniquities and remember them no more. Remember, God forgave Paul, a murderer. God forgave a criminal on a cross destined for capital punishment. And he is with God at this moment. Why do we get so stuck in this? There is a, an individual, a story of a young girl who was born over in Europe. She was a very bright young lady, very bright young lady, and her parents encouraged her in her studies and to read and to uh, have imagination and all those sorts of things, and so that's what she did, and she was a, she was a bit of a bookworm. She read all the time. She went to a public school, and she was bullied because of it, greatly bullied, and so she struggled. But she kept pressing on. 
And then when she became an adult, she went to college and she majored in French, which is just an odd thing, but she majored in French and French literature. And she still was this sort of bookworm. But she hadn't quite found success yet. And then she got married to a man. And they had troubles before their marriage, but then they got married, and that marriage was very short. They had a child, and he beat her. And he physically threw her out of the house. She had to go back with police officers to get that child. And she was as poor and homeless as you could possibly be. And she felt like a failure. But there was something in her that kept her moving forward. She kept going. And she had an idea about this little boy who had a special gift. And he would wave a wand and cast spells. And she wrote that book called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Now she cast it out to people and people rejected it. All these people rejected it. Until this one man who was in charge of a publishing company in Great Britain saw his daughter reading the book. She was little, reading the book. There were just a few copies published. And so she read it. And she just couldn't put it down. And so they picked it up. And then the United States picked it up. And they changed the name because Philosopher's Stone doesn't mean anything to Americans. We're not a very cultured group. And then she wrote the second one and the third one. And now J.K. Rowling is considered to be the first billionaire author. She didn't get stuck in her failures. She kept moving forward. J.K. Rowling is a believer. And in fact, if you read the books or you watch the movies, she made very clear that the script that was written for the movies that she would have control over. And so there are Christian themes in Harry Potter, especially about sacrifice. And there's one theme or one phrase in particular. When Voldemort, the evil villain, the enemy, the name that shall not be named, approaches Harry Potter, this is what he says. Harry Potter, the boy who lived, has come to die. And that's who Christ is. He was the boy who lived. Remember, 
he was supposed to be killed. He was the boy who lived, and he came to die for us. Why is it that we would be stuck in our sin that's been forgiven instead of moving forward and thriving in the Christian life? We may not be billionaire authors, but we can live lives of, re of rejoicing in Christ. And so I want to help us do that this morning. So as we begin, the first thing is, is that we need to acknowledge and repent of sin. That, that's the first thing. We, we can't move forward without realizing that there is a problem, correct? And so we have to acknowledge it. And so Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. God is not ignorant of your sin. Everybody else may be, but he is not. So confess those sins. Now, when we read that, first and foremost, we confess them to God. And God is wanting us. Now, why are we confessing something that God already knows about? It is our way of acknowledging that we have fallen, that we have fallen short and that we have sinned. And so we must confess. But then later on, we find that, we must, that it is also appropriate to confess to our brothers and sisters, not for gossip's sake, but so that they may pray for you in your sin. It is a shame that far too often our sins and our legitimate confessions of our sin turn to be fodder for brothers and sisters to gossip about, right? And so here's what I would commend to you. If a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and confesses sin to you, pray for them right then, verbally, out loud, so that they can hear you pray for them and continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for them and then call them up, text them, Come visit them and say, how are you doing with this? Because when a brother or sister asks for our help and confesses, us our sin, confesses their sin to us, we realize that we are no different. We are no different. Psalm 32.5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. How can the Lord forgive our sins if we do not confess them, acknowledge them? One very prominent politician is famous for publicly saying, I don't need to ask for forgiveness of sin. I have no sin. Now, if he would have proceeded to walk on water afterwards, we could have had a different discussion. But he did not. We are all fallen short. Confess the sin. Acknowledge it. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago, from Acts 3, 17-21. We don't merely acknowledge sin, but we repent of sin. 
We repent of it. We turn from our sin and we cling to Christ. And so if you find yourself this morning that you are dwelling in sin or still grief-stricken or guilt-ridden about your sin, it may be, it may be that you haven't truly repented of your sin. You may acknowledge that you have sin, but you have not repented of your sin. And I just want to tell you that that is a massive chasm there. And it is a chasm that expands two shores, one that is life and one that is death. Because the Bible tells us that we must not just confess or acknowledge that we have sinned, we must also repent of that sin. Now, let me just briefly say this. You may say, I struggle with the same sin. Over and over and over. I confess my sin. I pray that the Lord would forgive me of my sin. And for a while, I'm good, but then I find myself retreating back into that sin. I must still be lost. And my answer to that is, no, it doesn't mean you're lost. It means that you are fighting. It means that you are putting to death that sin. And oftentimes what I'll do especially with an individual who has been struggling this with for, for many, many years, what I'll do is I'll say, are you still sinning in the same way in the, at the same frequency as you were in the beginning? And almost always they will say, no, I'm not. I mean, when I was, when I was you know, before I was a believer, I mean, I, this was just my lifestyle. And after I became a believer, I just, I struggle with this sin. Like, I still want to do it. And so I still struggle, but I fight it. But sometimes I fail and I come back. I was like, that's the Christian life. It, it is two steps forward and sometimes one step back. Or three steps forward and then one step off the sidewalk and bump your head, you know. That's the way it happens sometimes. But over the long haul, is there a change? That's what we're asking. Over the long haul, is there a change? Do you see evidence of fruit in your life? Now, if you're an individual that says, yes, I have sin in my life. I know this is sin. I know that the Bible condemns this as sin, but I like it. And you know, I think that I'm good in all these other areas of my life. But if I entertain this sin, we'll just call that a vice. Isn't it funny how we, how we quickly turn sins into vices? Because it sounds less judgmental, right? It's just a vice. The mark of a believer is an individual who sees sin in their life, repents of sin, 
and fights every day to kill that sin. The mark of an unbeliever is an individual who sees sin in their life and may or may not acknowledge that as sin, but continues to feed it. And Romans 3.23 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We acknowledge it. We repent. We run from that sin. We put it to death and we cling to Christ. And thank God there is forgiveness of sins. And so this is where the, so the first step here is to acknowledge that we have sinned. The second step is to realize that if we confess those sins and we repent of those sins, that God is faithful in forgiving those sins. We do not have to question whether or not God will do what He says He's going to do. When He says that He is faithful and just to forgive your sins, that is exactly what He is. He's faithful and just to forgive. We don't have to question. If someone comes to you and says, I, I don't know if He has forgiven me of those sins. My question is, did, they, did you confess your sin? Yeah. Have you repented of that sin? Have you turned from that sin? Yeah. Then the Lord is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. Isn't that nice? We don't have to question whether God loves us. We don't have to question whether God is truthful. We may, we may question that from time to time of even those individuals that are closest to us. But you never have to question that of God. That's just who He is. And there is security in that. There is assurance in that. Psalm 103, 8-14. I love this passage. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You know what that means? It means... It could be a whole, we deserve a whole lot worse. A whole lot worse. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east? from the west it's complete it's total it's it's there there is no measurement you can't walk that off as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust he knows how inept we are he knows that we are finite beings. He realizes that we are not God. Isn't that a good thing that God realizes that we are not God? He realizes that we are dust because He's the one who made us. God is not expecting more out of you than what he, how He made you. 
He made you to do exactly what he intended for you to do. No more and no less. So often, we kind of play this middle ground where we act and behave less than how we were created, but believe that we are worth more than what we are created. Does that make sense? We behave less than dust, yet we believe that we are God's. It's just, it's, it's ludicrous. But God knows exactly who we are, how we were created, and that's how He treats us. And He treats us as children. For those who believe we are children of God, and He is our Father, and He is compassionate towards us. Daniel 9, 9 through 10. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled. Now, this is a prayer of Daniel about the Israelites and their rebellion. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So the Israelites did not obey the law, did not obey the prophets. They walked in rebellion. They rebelled against the Lord our God. Yet the Lord our God, to him belongs mercy and forgiveness. How often have we heard an individual say, a loving God would not have allowed this, or a loving God would not have done this, or a loving God would have done this. I said, here's, uh, here, here's the thing, all right? If God was being completely if, if, if he was repaying us for what we really deserve, we would no longer be here. He would have smited us very, very quickly. And so the very fact that you are here this morning and have breath is a mercy. That you have not been repaid what you are really owed. And we should count that as grace. Lucas was talking. Lucas was talking to his to Allie after the wreck, and she has come home. She's she's home, but she's still hooked to wires and has severe pain medications and stuff as she's trying to heal outside the hospital now. And she was very upset, obviously so. And like many of us. She, she said, this just isn't fair that she's, that she's stuck in this place. And I, I think many of us would have said that very thing. You know, that all these other people involved in the, in the wreck, um, are, they're out doing their thing. And, and here she is really, really struggling. And so in your prayer time, pray for her. Pray for her. Um, and Lucas looked at her and he said, you don't get it. He said, we should be dead. We should be dead right now. There is no way that we should have survived that wreck. 
when Lucas saw the car in the junkyard, you could, you could see the wheels turning as he was looking at it, trying to figure out how they came away with so few injuries. Folks, a normal human being doesn't fit in a car like that after the fact. It was, it was aluminum foil just crumpled. And he said, life's not fair. He said, but we should be dead. And the reason we're not is because God saved us. If we could get into that mindset that life just isn't fair, but because of the hand of God and His grace, it could be a whole lot worse, folks. God has not removed His hand yet. I pray that He never does. Colossians 3, 12-13 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So not only do we realize that we have been forgiven, but that very forgiveness that we, has, that we have received should spur us to forgive others. Now here's what's interesting. Can we forgive the way God forgives? When it says that God remembers our iniquity so more, here's how I here's here's how I take this. Is that God has forgiven us and that sin is as if it just has never happened. I'm not saying that God has a, has a loose memory. That's not what, I'm, what I believe that means. What I believe it means is it just does, it does not factor in the equation anymore. The only thing that factors anymore is the blood of Jesus. That's it. See, before Christ, our sin and our lives was a part of this massive, complicated, algebraic equation. All right, and there's all these variables in there, right? Some of you are having like panic attacks right now thinking of algebra. All right, but you have all these, al all these variables, right? And there's sin after sin after sin. And every single variable plays a role in that equation. But when we come to Christ, the only thing that counts is Jesus. In that scenario, the answer truly is Christ. He is the answer to that equation. But for us, our forgiveness is deficient. And why is that? Well, first of all, when we forgive one another, we're not forgiving them of eternal sin, right? Our forgiveness doesn't have that power. But also, try as we might, try as we might, Past sins of others, especially against us, still inform our feelings towards an individual. It lessens, it weakens, but it seems to always be there. Because we are, we are not God, and we are sinful, and we are deficient. And you know what I mean? You hear the phrase, I forgive but I never forget. That is just unbiblical. 
that's just unbiblical. Because what you really are saying is, I forgive you, but I'm always going to remember what you did to me. Now, we got to be wise. We need to be wise. We do. You can't be played for the fool over and over and over again. But at the same time, if your love for another is always being informed by what, what they did, then you'll never be able to love them as Christ has called us to love one another. Which leads me to my final point, and that's living in victory. So the first thing we must do if we want to move forward from sin is we have to acknowledge and repent of sin. We, we have to do that. We can't just brush it under the rug. The second thing is we have to realize that we have been forgiven of sins and we need to forgive others. We, we can't let other individuals' sin rule our lives. There are some people that are dwelling on what somebody has done to them for decades. They just, they won't let it go. Let it go. Because I will tell you this, when you refuse to let the sin of someone else against you, when you refuse to let it go, it's not impacting them. It's only messing with you. Let it go. Frozen, right? We'll sing it. Anyway, the final thing is this. Let it go and then live in victory. Live in victory. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, we have overcome the world because of Christ. Unable to do it on our own, but completely able to do it because Christ does it for us. And we can live in that victory. You have met those Christians who are living in the victory of Christ. You've met them. They walk with a, with a, just, a just a pep in their step, right? There's just something about them. They're, they're, they're sort of magnetic. I have, a, I have a, a, a dear friend of mine. I've mentioned him before. His name's Andy. He works for the KBC. I don't get to see him very often now, but uh, we, we still stay in touch. And there's just something about that dude. Like, I leave from a breakfast meeting just feeling better, partly because I've eaten, but also because I've been with that dude. And it's just magnetic because there, there is a Christ-like pep in his step. He's living in the victory of Christ. He's not dwelling on all this. Now, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. He still sins. There are still, there's still brokenness there. But he doesn't dwell on it. He, he charges on. He moves forward knowing that the greatest victory is in Jesus and the greatest reward is still to come. And he is looking forward to that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my, brother, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
that is not of a pic- that is not a picture of someone who is who is guilt-ridden and standing in this like in, in, this, in the muck of their past sin, they realize that they have been forgiven, and now they are living in that victory. They are just moving forward, following Christ. What is in vain is sitting there dwelling on it. If you dwell on sin, you are dwelling in vain. It will not get better. It will not get better. It will not improve your life. You will not find more joy looking backwards. The only way you find joy is by looking forward and setting your eyes on Christ. That's it. That's it. And finally, Galatians 2.20. One of my favorite passages. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave, him, gave himself for me. If Christ is living in you, as Paul says in Galatians, I can guarantee you that he is not dwelling on your sin. Christ did not suffer the crucifixion just so that you or I would sit around and mope about what has been. He died to set us free from that bondage so that we would move forward and live for Christ. And I will tell you, it is very difficult for anyone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ when they are still dwelling on their own sin. Why? Because it's so depressing. Well, you ought to come to Jesus. I lost my tailgate. You know what I mean? You can't be an Eeyore and share your love for Christ. You can't be an Eeyore and show the enthusiasm that you have for the kingdom. And you can't be an Eeyore to show and reveal the victory that we have in Jesus. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Do you want to come to the party? It's going to be awesome. All the cool people are going to be there, and they're just like me. No one wants to be a part of that. When you invite somebody to church, you want to come to our church? What's it like? Oh, the music's great. The preacher, he's all right. Food's good. No one's coming to that church. You should come to Jesus. He saved me from my sins. Come to the party. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be so many people there, and you're going to love it. Come to our church. The people there will love you. And then when you get there, the music, it's great. Even if it's not, go ahead, little fib, it's all right. Anyway, no, I mean, seriously, I mean, the music's great. And, and the preacher, he is awesome. Go ahead and say that, okay? Just go ahead and say that. You get the idea? And then come to Jesus, he will not fail you. He will not fail you. You say you're a sinner? I get it. So was I. I was the sinner of sinners. I, there was no one a bigger sinner than me. But then Christ blinded me on that road to Damascus. And now I have been set free of my sin. And I am dancing in the victory like King David. 
If I had a loincloth, I'd drop it. Not me. This is Paul. I'm impersonating Paul. All right, I'm going to keep my clothes on. But you get the idea. Be enthusiastic. And you can't be enthusiastic when you're still dwelling on sin. So stop. There's no sense in it. It's crazy. I'll finish with this, just as like a silly analogy that just came to me. When me and my dad get in the car and we're going somewhere, there is always about a 75% chance that we're going to miss our turn. Now, that does, that's not because me and dad are bad navigators. We're actually quite good at that now that we have navigation. All right? You know, some, isn't it funny it's always a woman on the phone navigating? I just find that to be funny. All right, and Debbie's like, yeah, right, that's right, it's supposed to be that way. Anyway, so she's telling us where to go, and we're ignoring it because we're in conversation. So we miss the turn, right? We miss the turn. Now, I could sit there and dwell on missing that turn, being aggravated that I'm being taken out of my way, that I'm burning that $14 gas, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I could be aggravated, or I could say, okay, I missed my turn. Let's get off to the next one and keep on going. That's what you got to do. You're going to miss your turn from time to time. So take the next exit. Just take it and keep on living. Keep on going. We missed our exit the other day and went 16 miles out of our way. And Brittany and Derek were following us. Now, they may have been cussing us, but we were fine. We still caught a lot of fish that day. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I love that story about J.K. Rowling. I love that story about her and how she overcame those obstacles because one of the things that you see as she was overcoming those obstacles is that she, I believe, I, I honestly believe this, that there are some individuals living currently or who have died that you do not know their names and you will never know their names You'll never know their names. But they had ideas. They had dreams. They had ideas that might have far exceeded Harry Potter or Star Wars or other things. The telephone. They would have exceeded those things. But they never accomplished anything because they were so stuck on their failures that they couldn't move forward from it. Stop dwelling on your failures. Stop dwelling on your sin. And just move forward in Christ and live in that victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. Help us, Lord, to move forward when we sin. Help us to move forward from our failures, Lord. Help us to move forward and live victoriously in Christ. Lord, if, there is, if, if we have unforgiven or unconfessed sin in our life, Lord, bring it to our attention so we might confess it, acknowledge it, and then move forward, Lord. And then let's, let us live a joyous life for the sake of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.